You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Today we're bringing it all in for a landing, so to speak. I said last week that the the landing gear on the airplane have been uh, dismantled or down, and we're coming in for a landing. A 10-month journey through the book of Acts. We started in January, and uh, the book of Acts, it's been an exciting journey, uh, but we're ready to finish. You say, well, what's next? Well, the next two Sundays are, I think, the most important Sundays of the year for us at the Gateway Church. It's Missions Convention. And uh, the next two Sundays, uh, we could put a lot of effort, a lot of energy into these Sundays. They're important to us because we believe at the Gateway Church that a healthy church is a missions-minded church. And so we highlight missions kind of back-to-back weeks. And then after that, we've got a mini-series that will kind of go between uh, missions and Christmas. And Christmas is right around the corner, and uh, you're not going to want to miss everything that God is doing in that. Uh, But for those of us that loved the book of Acts, and I hope that's most of us, right? And you're saying, Pastor, I don't want the book of Acts to finish. Right. And just to remind us, we're kind of the journey we've been on. We started talking about that we're created with purpose. Right. And that uh, after we're created with purpose, we find the purpose and then we're living the purpose. And we've been finding out most recently that there's a cost to the purpose that God puts on our lives. And that could be large or small, but there's always uh, something that we have to uh, realize that when we are following Christ, it's going to cost us something. And that's not always popular to talk about, but there's a cost that comes with living on purpose. And you're saying, man, I want to just live there. I want to continue. Uh, I don't want the book of Acts to finish. And, uh, and for those of you that are saying that, I've got good news. The book of Acts actually doesn't finish. Acts is an unfinished story. The record of the early church stops at the end of Acts, but the story of the church continues. Amen? Turn with me to Acts chapter 28, the last chapter in the book of Acts, in the last two verses. Let's look at this and kind of, it, it's, it's interesting. It, well, let's just read it. It says this, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there, in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then you might want to write in your Bible, and dot, dot, dot. It's like, well, what happened to Paul, right? What's the end of the story? What, did he, what was the outcome of the trial that he was a part of? What about the church growth from that point on? There's no concluding paragraph in the book of Acts. And, it's, and the truth is, is that the story has no end. The gospel has no end. We are still writing the story. The gospel is moving forward. And so today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to focus on Acts chapter 28, but also Acts chapter 29. And when I say that, I know you're thinking, wait a second, I don't see an Acts 29. 
We are living Acts 29. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this and we're going to ask God to speak to our hearts. And I believe that there's a strong word for all of us here today. Now, when we look at the book of Acts, the story, it's the story of the church, right? And uh, we can track the believers that became professing Christians. Now, early on, they didn't call themselves Christians. They called, they would say, hey, we're part of the way or we're Christ followers. Uh, Christians became a, a term later on. Uh, but the book of Acts, within the book of Acts, uh, we see that when Jesus died, how many people, this is a quick test, uh, and we, it's found in the book of Acts, how many people showed up in the upper room? Just yell it out. 120. All right, you can't answer from this point on. All right, you, you got your A and you're done. All right, uh, all right. The very next chapter, so in chapter two, uh, the apostle Peter steps up and he and he had he had denied Christ, but then he's now preaching again. And how many people gave their heart to Jesus? Thousands, three thousand. Yes, A for you. Way to go. A couple chapters later, uh, it, it, it mentions again, it, it gives a de detailed record how many people came to the Lord in the fourth and fifth chapter. I'll give you a clue. 5,000 more. And then you fast forward a little bit further than that. They stopped keeping track of each person and they called, they said great multitudes came to the Lord. And then persecution broke out, and then you know, we get to the end of Acts, and we don't see a number at that point. But let's look at Acts chapter 29 and see what, the, what has happened in regards to church growth. Let's start in A.D. 313. There were, at that point, 313 years after the upper room, 10 million professing Christians. 10 million. That's a lot of Christians. In AD 1000, it grew, so over another 700 years, to 50 million Christians. By the end of the 1700s, 215 million Christians. You say, why do we stop, say that? Well, at the end of uh, the 1700s, uh, 1795, William Carey. How many have heard of uh, William Carey? He's one of the, uh, the fathers of the modern missionary movement. Uh, a couple weeks ago at our mission summit, we talked about William Carey. And you add 100 years from the time that he started and his influence, by 1900, 500 million professing Christians. And then something happened at the turn of the century, 1900. Um, by 1910, 100 million people were added. So now we're at 600 million Christians. You say, that's some pretty significant growth over 10 years. Absolutely. That's when the, the modern Pentecostal movement, kind of a re-emphasis on uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, kicked in. And uh, by, if you fast forward to 1980, now we're not in the millions, we're at 1.3 billion professing Christians. And 10 years later, 1.8 billion in 1990. In 2011, 2.2 billion. And so we continue to see the growth of the Christian church. And the most recent, uh, if you Google it this morning uh, on your phones, and some of you probably will while we're sitting here, uh, 2018, 31% of the world's population, nearly one-third, would uh, call themselves 
Christian, professing Christians. Now, that includes Protestant and Catholics and evangelicals as well. Listen, the book of Acts is still continuing. You say, well, what about evangelicals? And we kind of lump ourselves. Pentecostals are under the umbrella of evangelicals. Uh, what about the ev- evangelicals? Well, the, the, the uh, evangelicals in ratio to the rest of the world, uh, there's some interesting t- statistics. I don't have them on the slides. Um, but in 1430, it was one uh, evangelical to every 99 people in the world. By 1790, it was 1 to 49. By 1940, 1 to 32. 1960, it was 1 to 24. In 1970, it was 1 to 19. In 1980, I remember that was a good year if I was four years old. One Christian for every 16 in the world. And then look at the progression just over the last 20 uh, something years or 30 years. In 1983, 1 to 13. In 1986, 1 to 11. In 1989, 1 to 10. 1993, 1 to 9. And in 2000, this study stopped in 2000, one for every seven people in the world label themselves as evangelical Christians. Again, the point here is that the gospel is continuing to advance. You with me? You say, well, how did it all start? Well, let's go back to the beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Let's look at it. And where did it all start? It started with Jesus. Uh, it says in verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he's with his disciples, he, he said he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you, you will be baptized with, or some versions say in, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of our kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has sent or set by his own authority. But you, this is the key, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is where the early church started with the power and their witness being fueled by the Holy Spirit. It says that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the very next chapter, the church, the 120 are in the upper room and they're praying, they're seeking God. They're not even sure what to expect and the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them. The Holy Spirit falls. They begin to speak in other tongues and it changes everything within the church from that moment forward. They're fueled and powered. Just a side note, the advancement of the gospel has been unprecedented in the last hundred years. I don't know if you realize it or not when we talk about those statistics. You say, why is that? Well, there's been a resurgence of the Holy Spirit's move and the Holy Spirit's work within the church. The Pentecostal believers worldwide are the fastest growing uh, part of the evangelical church. And I believe it's because there are people being filled 
with the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and living that out. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it goes all the way back to that Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power, and you will be my witness even to the ends of the earth. And as I was thinking about how are we going to bring this plane to a, to a landing, how, what, how are we going to do this, What's the focus as we wrap all of this up? And my heart was drawn to a term that we call evangelism. And I want to look at the pattern in Paul's life and then the pattern in our lives. Paul was passionate about evangelism. It is undeniable when you look at his life, once he had that salvation experience, he was an evangelist. And what I want to talk about are three things. When was Paul um, sharing the gospel? To whom was he sharing the gospel? And where did Paul share the gospel? And I believe as we talk about this, I believe that it's going to capture our hearts. And and I'm just going to say, there's some things in my message today that may make you uncomfortable. And I get that. And it makes me uncomfortable if I'm vulnerable with you this morning. But I believe as we look at this, that God, he's going to, we're going to move the needle in the right direction. And I believe it's going to make a difference in our lives to reach one more. And so let's pray and ask God to do that. And then we're going to dive into these three ideas. Lord, we thank you that this morning you captured our heart in worship and we sang and we, we, uh, we worshiped you. And Lord, this morning, now, as we look at your word, I pray that it would be illuminated. And God, your word says that with the foolishness of preaching, you draw men to you and you challenge us. And Lord, I pray that you would use me, my words, uh, that uh, the focus would not be on man, but Lord, it would be on you. And Holy Spirit, we just declare that you have free reign in this room to speak to our hearts to move the needle, to challenge us, to put us into action. And Lord, that's what we need. And so I pray that you would help us in that matter this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's look at Acts chapter 28. When did Paul evangelize? And if you look at this, and maybe you kind of pre-read Acts chapter 28, you see, first of all, that Paul, in the first few uh, verses, that Paul is in Malta, and then he's in Syracuse for just three days, and then he arrives in Rome three months later. In each of those situations, Paul is evangelizing uh, right at the very moment that he's there. When did he evangelize? Well, let's look at it. Verse 16 says, when we got home to or got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And then three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. And then it goes on to say that he pulled them together. He didn't wait. He says three days He had to be processed in Rome. He had to get settled in. But then what does he do? He calls the leaders of the church. He calls them to himself and says, look, I want to share with you this idea of Jesus. Now, in many ways, when Paul arrived in Rome, commentators say that he would have been unknown to most of those there. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't spend weeks or months or a year building relationships before he shares three days 
Essentially, it was immediately. He shared immediately the passion that was inside of him. It was like he couldn't help himself. He was so passionate to get the word of Jesus Christ out. It was all that he thought about. It was all that he cared about. Look at verse 23 in Acts chapter 28. It says this. It says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. It says, He witnessed to them. He evangelized to them from morning till evening, explaining the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about what? about Jesus. It was always Christ-focused from morning to evening. That's all he thought about. That's all that mattered to Paul. Look at the end of the chapter, chapter 30, uh, or verse 30. It says, for two whole years he stayed in his own rented house. He welcomed all to come to see him. Now, what did they do? Were they just coming in just to have tea or just to, to, get, uh, to get to know Paul or just to hang out or watch the game, whatever? No, it says he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What was his focus? His focus was to evangelize with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul, immediately, wherever he went, what was on the tip of his tongue? When did he share? He shared immediately. Now, let's look at Acts 29. When will we evangelize? When will you evangelize? When will I follow Paul's example? Immediately? As I sat with that idea this week, I was really convicted. I really was convicted. I realized that now my family has lived in the same neighborhood for over 12 years. September 2006, we moved into town. October 1st, 2006 was our first Sunday here at the Gateway Church. 12 years we moved into our neighborhood. And I am happy to say that my, my neighbors, they know us. They know that I'm in ministry. But when I thought about it this week, there are, have been very few spiritual conversations with my neighbors. I just say, I was convicted by that. I'm saying, when will we evangelize? How about you? Why do you hesitate like I do sometimes? Why don't we share? Why don't we lift up our voices? And why isn't Jesus the first thing that's coming off of our tongues? Are we scared? Is there fear in our hearts that if we say the word Jesus or if we talk about our relationship with the Lord that for some reason we'll be ostracized? Maybe you're here this morning, you're feeling like you're not qualified to share or that you're not comfortable to share. You're saying, well, there's spiritual gifts and my gift is not the gift of evangelism. How many have ever had that thought? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Right? It's still our responsibility. It's what God calls us to do. For some of you, it might be guilt of the past. 
I was at a meeting this week and, uh, with uh, uh, Positive Options in Grand Haven, kind of the Lakeshore Pregnancy Center. It's now called Positive Options. And they were talking about how the, our past and how for some ladies in the church, and there's a huge amount of ladies that have a uh, life decision, uh, uh, they've considered abortion or have gone through with abortion, and oftentimes they will be halted in their relationship with the Lord and with their ability to share because they did something that they're ashamed of and they live in that fear or live with that guilt. Maybe you have guilt about uh, your past uh, addictions or your past situations. Maybe it's your current example that keeps you from sharing. I don't know. Maybe you think, you're thinking, well, I've shared before and it didn't really change anything. Or maybe you kind of convince yourself, well, people know who I am. They know, and maybe this is where I fall, uh, if I'm honest. People know who I am and kind of what I represent. And when they're ready, they'll come to me. When will we evangelize? When will we share? When will you share? When will I share? The last section of Acts, we've been talking about total surrender, the cost of purpose. Well, the cost of purpose, and when we really consider the purpose that God has put in our hearts, the cost is that we should share our faith with others. When will we rise up and share our faith? I don't know. But I promise you this, when we do, God will be in it. He will help us, and he's going to do that. He's going to challenge us, I believe, in this next season to be a living example and to lift up our voice. Let's go back to Acts 28. What's the second thing? Oh, it says not only when uh, did Paul evangelize, but to whom did Paul evangelize? Look at it, verse 17. Verse 17 says, three days later, he called the, together the local Jewish leaders. He went first to the Jews. Oh, that's consistent throughout Paul's ministry. He went to the people that were most like him. He loved his people. Hold your finger there and just turn a few verses over, a few chapters over to Romans chapter 9. Very interesting verse here uh, about who Paul went after. And li listen to this. It says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What, what is Paul disturbed about? What is causing the anguish in his heart? It's the lack of Jews coming to faith, coming to Jesus. Then, then listen to what he says, verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. What Paul is saying there, he says, look, I would give up my own life, my own eternity with Jesus if, my, if I could guarantee for all the Jews to come to Jesus. He was passionate about his own people. If you go to the next chapter, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. He was passionate about reaching the Jews. 
He started with the leaders, and that often caused him persecution. If I was Paul, you're th- I'm thinking, all right, I know, God, you called me to preach to the Jews, but every time I go and talk to the leaders, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but he keeps on doing it. Say, what about the Gentiles? Look at the uh, verse 24. It says, some of them were convinced, this is the Jews, by what he said, but others would not believe. It says, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. He's talking about the Jews. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has become callous. He's talking about the Jews here. They, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. That's a quote from Isaiah. And then look at verse 28. It says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles as well, and they will listen. So Paul went to the Gentiles as well and actually had a better response. And when we talk about the Gentiles, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, That's people that were different from Paul, but he was called and he was commissioned to reach not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. What about today? Acts chapter 29. Can I be so bold to ask the question, to whom will we evangelize? Could we start with our own people, our own family, our own friends, our co-workers? How many would agree that sometimes it's our family that's the hardest to reach? Isn't that the truth? Are those that are closest to us our friends? And when it comes to those that are hardest, if you only share when it feels good, you may never share to your own people. Is that the truth? Paul went to the Jews first. Should we go to those that are closest to us, that are most like us? What about the Gentiles, those that are hardest to love, those that maybe are different from you, people maybe that have even hurt you? Either way, Jews or Gentiles, what if they don't listen? Well, look at verse 24 of Acts chapter 28. It says, some were convinced by what Paul said, but others would not believe. When I was studying that, I'm thinking, okay, if Paul didn't have 100%, we're not going to have 100%, probably. So do we have to worry about the results? No. It's not about you. It's not about your ego. It's This idea that we trust the Holy Spirit's leading, we respond in faith, we lift up our voice, we're faithful to share, and we let the Holy Spirit do the work. He's the one that saves. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's on the line. Will everyone respond? Probably not. But we need to be faithful to share. Here's a friend of mine, became a friend, back at our last church. His name was Steve Voraz. He was an atheist. His son started coming to church on Wednesday nights for Royal Rangers, which is kind of like a boys' club, uh, kind of like a 
Boy Scouts with Christian principles. So, his na- so one of the families in our church, they, their kids were part of Royal Rangers and Missionettes, and their next-door neighbors, they started bringing their kids to Wednesday night. Well, Steve was the dad of the neighbor, and he started hanging around. He started bringing his son to church uh, for Royal Rangers, and he participated in Pinewood Derby, and he participated in a powwow where he's coming and camping with a bunch of Christian guys. And, and he was a, uh, a, a stout uh, atheist. He, he was very intellectual in his thinking. And for years, he st- just was around and I became friends with him. I went fishing with him. We would hang out a little bit. And uh, we, you know, it, uh, where's Sean Schlegel? Sean, he was the guy that loved sports and would always be around, wanted to watch the game in community. And uh, he was that type of guy. And this guy was hardcore against the gospel message. I knew him for about five years before we moved here. And I left and on the day we left, or the, or the week that we left, I, I hung out with him, and we had lunch together. And I thought, man, I'm going to try one more time to see if he would give his heart to the Lord. And I did my best. I shared the gospel, and uh, I'm saying, man, when, when are you going to see? Where, you know, when is God going to you know, soften your heart? And we talked a little bit, and he did not give his heart to Jesus. Now, fast forward a couple years, I'm preaching here on a Sunday morning, and uh, I finish a service, and back then we were just one service at 10 o'clock, and at the end of the service, um, I, I grab my phone, and I look, and, uh, and it was crazy, the timing, but my, I literally, I picked up my phone, and it was ringing, and it was my pastor, Pastor Danny Brown from Bethel Christian in Dayton, Ohio. I'm like, Pastor Brown, Sunday morning, what's going on? So I answer the phone, I'm like, hello? He's like, Ben! how you doing? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, fine, I just finished church. What's going on? You know, he says, hey, Steve Boris is here, and he's got something he wants to tell you. And my pastor passed off the phone. In two years after we moved, my friend Steve, on a Sunday morning, showed up to church and surrendered his life to the Lord. And he shared, and he said, hey, I gave my heart to the Lord this morning. And uh, it, was inc- it was incredible. That year, I went back to Detroit. We would often make trips up to Detroit for the auto show. And I had been twice with Steve before. Uh, from Dayton, we'd drive up and uh, stay with my grandparents. He met me again in Detroit, and we celebrated. And we talked about the goodness of God, and it changed his life. Who To whom are we going to evangelize? We need to evangelize to those closest to us, but those that are most different to us as well. We are called to be salt and light in this world. When should we do it? Immediately. It should be on our tongues. To whom? To anyone. Let's go back to Acts chapter 28 and look at the third idea. Acts chapter 28. Where did Paul evangelize? Where did he evangelize? If you read the chapter, which we're not going to read the whole entire chapter, but in the first 10 verses, Paul is ministering on a beautiful island of Malta. Uh, If you can Google that, there's some great cliff jumping, uh, Logan, I found, and I watched a few (laughs) uh, videos this week. It was kind of fun. But anyway, Malta is this gorgeous place. I thought if you read uh, ahead, 
Um, Paul was bit by a viper, and it didn't affect him. He just threw it back off, and, and uh, it's kind of a crazy story. I thought, well, there's our chance. Let's bring out the snakes. And, uh, but the staff didn't think that was a good idea. But anyway, he's in Malta. He's evangelizing there. Uh, in verse 12, he's in Syracuse just for three days. And he's sharing the gospel there. In fact, some commentators believe that in three days, Paul planted a church in Syracuse. Three days he planted a church. He was on his lips. Where? It didn't matter where he was. By verse 23, he's in Rome. He's sharing night and day. We, we looked at that. And then you go back to the book of Acts, kind of from the very beginning of Paul's story. When Paul showed up in a sensual city, the city of Corinth, what does he do? He lifts his voice and he shares in Corinth. He evangelizes in Athens, which was a sophisticated city. It didn't matter uh, what kind of city it was. Where did Paul evangelize? He evangelized in Philippi while he was in prison, while he was under house arrest in Caesarea. And there's dozens of other cities and places in the, in the book of Acts where Paul evangelizes. Where did he evangelize? He evangelized everywhere. He boldly talked about Jesus, period. You tracking with me? And it really begs the question, where will we be called to evangelize? Acts 29. Today, the story continues. Where are we called to evangelize? Where should I share? Ask yourself that. Where could I share if I'm living totally surrendered, where the, only, the first thing out of my mind is Jesus all the time? And can I ask you a, a personal question? When was the last time that you shared your faith? The last time you mentioned the word Jesus in a conversation at work or with your family? with someone that's unsaved, that's close to you? How about at school, in your situation? And my guess is, I thought about asking everybody to stand up and say, if Paul was the example, where to evangelize, and it's everywhere, how many of us are failing? And I'm not going to do it, but how many of you would need to stand up if we did that exercise? And the reality is there's excuses that come to, my, to all of our minds. You're like, well, I've tried before, it's too hard. Or if some, for some, if you're honest, you're saying, well, it's not the, on my mind, right? Or I forget to share. I, I might be in a Sunday morning, I'm like, oh, I need to share. And then Monday comes or Friday comes and you, you'll see the person. Or maybe you're saying, oh, I'm not allowed to share at work or I'm discouraged to share in, so, in some way. Listen, if Paul is our example where to evangelize, how many of us would be failing? At the coffee shop, do you share Jesus? At the gym, at your break at work, at your next family gathering or family gatherings or at school. And yes, there are excuses that we can all kind of acknowledge. You say, well, I don't know that many believers or unbelievers. All the people I hang around, they all know Jesus. Well, listen, if Paul is our example, 
where to evangelize are you failing? When will you evangelize? Ah, uh, later, not now. To whom? Oh, uh, I'm not comfortable. Where? Where is God saying it's time to lift up your voice and let your light shine before men? Listen, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about an airplane analogy, like we're coming in to, a, to land this plane and uh, the landing gear's down. We're ready to land. And we're finishing the book of Acts. Well, I kind of feel like I need to be the captain on the radio and say, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're not going to be landing this plane. Our work is not done. Our evangelism, our sharing the gospel, sharing our faith, bringing it back to the forefront of our minds, we are heading back to a comfortable cruising altitude because we've got work to do sharing our faith. How many are with me? Pastor Bobby, I want you to come. We are relaunching. It's time to re-fire, to be fueled by the Holy Spirit, to address the when question. When will we share? When will we evangelize? To whom and where? And I want to just say that whatever excuses resonated with you, saying, ooh, I've had that excuse, there are no excuses from this point forward. When should you share? We should have the name of Jesus on our lips at all times. It should be the thing on our mind. To whom? This is what I'd like us to do. I'd like you to identify one family or one person in your life that needs the Lord. At least you believe they need the Lord. We're not the judge, but you're saying, boy, their life would be different if they knew the Lord. Can you think of one? Come on, seriously. Who is it? Who's your one? We've talked about this in the past, reaching one more. Who's the one person in your life that if they didn't make it, You'd be like the Apostle Paul saying, man, I'm in anguish. Let, just go back to that just for a second. Romans chapter 9 says, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish. Who's the one person that would cause you to have that kind of emotion? It says, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Would you? Who is it that you would say, man, I would give, I would trade places and spend an eternity away from heaven so this person doesn't miss it. Who is it in your life? Is it a mom or a dad? Is it one of your kids or grandchild? When we've gone through those exercises and really gone around and shared in small groups, a lot of times it's someone in our family that's closest to us that we're saying, man, I can't imagine not making it to heaven without whoever. Maybe it's a neighbor, a co-worker, someone can we identify one person to whom will you evangelize just pick one just pick one and to where whoever you're picking you know where there'll be opportunities to share on your next run are you willing to share on your next break 
at your next meeting, will you lift up your voice? The next time you're mowing the lawn and you wave at the neighbor and you turn off the mower to catch up a little bit, are you willing to share your faith? At your next class, are you willing in between classes to make your voice, make your faith known? Your next lunchtime with the guys or with the gals? To where will you evangelize? It doesn't matter where. It just matters that you do it. This morning we're going to close with a song. And as we sing this song, I want you to be thinking of the one person in your life, like the Apostle Paul. He was passionate. Who is it in your life? And then the when and the where, those are going to come. But to whom in your life, who in your life needs the gospel story? And the question is, will you build your life on Jesus? And if that's the case, will you share your faith? Without further ado, I'm going to ask that you stand. And uh, Pastor Bobby, I want you to lead us in the song before we close this morning. Hallelujah. That last little line, let's put that up on the screen there, just that last phrase. And lead me in your love to those around me. Do you believe that the Lord could do that this week? Seriously. When will you evangelize? To whom is God calling you? And where will it happen? It's going to happen in your comings and your goings, wherever you are. And the reality is we need to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. And so as I close in prayer today, and as we leave here in just the next few moments, we just got to realize that the Holy Spirit is what fuels us. And as we are filled up, it should overflow and make a difference. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Thank you for drawing us, God. Thank you, Lord, that at work this week with the guys, I can lift my voice. When I'm with the family this weekend watching the game, I can lift my voice. When I'm at school studying, doing a group project this week, I can lift my voice. When I'm at the gym playing racquetball, I can lift up my voice. Whatever, wherever, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I promise that at the end of the service, we'd give you an opportunity to surrender yourself. If you're not following Christ, if you're away from Jesus this morning, the best decision you could ever make would be to give your heart and your life to Jesus. He died for you. He was beaten and bruised. He was put on a cross 
for you. And the Bible says that he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't hold our sin against us, but that doesn't happen automatically. It only happens when we receive Christ into our life. And if you're here this morning saying, man, I need to receive Christ. I need Jesus to live inside of me. I'm just curious if there's anyone here for service. If you're here and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I've made that decision. I am a Christ follower. Um, I am a professing Christian. Just raise your hand right where you are all across this place. You're saying, yep, I have, I've given my heart to Jesus. You can put your hands down. Yep, hands everywhere. If you're unable to raise your hand and, you're, and you feel your heart beating out of your chest, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get a hold of you. If you're here and you're ready to respond, saying, you know what, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I want Jesus to save me. Would you just lift up your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you. Who this morning, first service? Yep, we've got a young lady here. Anybody else saying, yes, that's me? Anyone else for the sake of the one? Is there anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just repeat after me? Say, dear Heavenly Father, just all together, dear Heavenly Father, come into my life. Make my heart clean. Take away my sin and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I'll give my life to you in total surrender. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. We rejoice with the one. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, let me just pray a prayer of benediction before we go. God, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. And Lord, help us, God, to be ready to lift our voice, even today at lunch, even today uh, when we're on the phone with our kids, even today when we have the interaction that was a surprise with our neighbor. God, use us for your glory, just like you did the Apostle Paul. Help us to see him as our example. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said again, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.